Welcome back to the Bill Branley Collective. We are sitting outside in the veranda of the Levy Nadelberg compound in beautiful New London, Connecticut, the Dublin of America. The thing we didn't mention in the main topic is that our, our compound is a Jim Jones style compound. <laughs> <laughs> we basically become Granada. Right. <laughs> See, I think Corleone yeah. compound. Yeah, no. I think of like Lake Tahoe. There, there is no Kool Aid here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Laura, well, Laura wouldn't uh, waste the poison. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Their livers will give out soon enough. We're, we can play the long game. We will be discussing a year in the life of the Bill Bradley Collective, which uh, also neatly coincides with the worst pandemic in our history. So that's exciting. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. It's a beautiful day. Glad to, glad to be in the company of uh, gentlemen. It's, it's scholars. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what will you be ranting about today? Uh, I'm going to talk about the still ongoing, somehow, shelf life of Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley covering the NCAA tournament, let alone the NBA. So I have a question for you, Andrew. For reasons that will become apparent to you very soon, but to our listeners at some point, indeterminate point in the future, I was looking at the uh, Jewish Hall of Fame, uh, Sports Hall of Fame, and this reminded me that uh, 20, uh, nope, was 48 years ago, uh, next month, was the first game ever played with designated hitters. It's a Yankee Red Sox game. Who were the DHs in that game, and are they alive or dead? The Yankee DH was Ron Bloomberg. It is true. <laughs> the Red Sox DH was. He had the best year of any DH that year. I said Jesus. I just Bloom- said Yahweh. <laughs> Bloomberg or the Red Sox DH? Red Sox DH. I had the best year of any. He was the only real full-time so, DH. So this is 1971. 73. Uh, 70, 73. I'm sorry. The math's up. Uh, Hall of Famer. Yastrzemski? Nope. Um, Orlando Cepeda. He was Jewish? <laughs> no. Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> Bloomberg was Jewish. They, they tried to get, they tried to start the, Fuck. they start, they tried to start the nickname, the Jewish Hammer, around Bloomberg, and it did not stick. Why wouldn't they go with Hebrew he, Hammer? So I know he's alive because he's a good Twitter hang, I think, right? Ron Bloomberg's alive, right? Ron Bloomberg is alive, okay. yes, and he's coaching Israeli baseball. Yeah, you've been, you've been following like, Mike Bloomberg this entire time. <laughs> Ron Bloomberg says funny shit on Twitter sometimes, and I see it. Um, Ron Bloomberg also, had he played post-Moneyball, would have been a valued player, but because he didn't hit lefties in 73, they just said... After two after two years of playing, where he hit like average twenty six home runs and a three sixty on base percentage and a five fifty slugging percentage, they said, "No, we're not. You're not hit. Could never hit lefties. We're going to get rid of you." And he went to the White Sox. I think. I assume you like walked a lot too. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was uh, a very good player. Oh, hitter. Sapato was the Red Sox DH in seventy three. Yes, no he shit. was. Um, he's deceased. No, he's no. still hanging in there. Good, good. He, uh, yeah, I mean, wrong. his um, his post career life of uh, of smuggling cocaine and marijuana into the country <laughs> has helped him age. We have, uh, we have finally saved money on our on our flower uh, our flower budget line item. So they are both alive. So congratulations to Ron Bloomberg. Congratulations to Orlando Cepeda. How are you doing, Zach? Doing well. And what will you be ranting about? I will be writing about the frustration of constantly being beaten by my partner in fantasy sports. <laughs> so I know you have a game, but I've got a quick one for you. Okay. Deb Holland uh, was just 
sworn into the cabinet as, uh, uh, for the Department of the Interior. I actually worked on the Deb Holland campaign in New Mexico in 2020 when she ran for house for the first time uh, for AFT, AFT something down there. And she's the first Native American woman to be in a cabinet. So I have a couple questions for you. Who was the first woman to be in a cabinet? It's very famous. It was under FDR. Yep. Labor secretary. Yep. Jesus. Why don't I know her name? You should. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Francis is her first name. <sighs> I, what's the last name? Francis Perkins. I was, the fact that I knew Nailed it that quick. That, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty fucking I got two-thirds of the way there. I mean, All right. Jesus. The first foreign-born female in cabinet was the Secretary of State under Clinton. Who was that? Secretary of State. <sighs> she said there's a special place in hell for women who don't support women. <laughs> Yep. Oh, my God. In Parks and Rec, she's Leslie Nope's, like, best friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know this. Come on. It's not Margaret. All I, it's, I know it's not Margaret Thatcher. But, but it's, it's Madeleine Albright. Madeleine Albright. Right. <laughs> the first African-American black woman under a Republican, under George H.W. Bush. Kind of leads rice. No, Patricia Harris. Actually, no, that's under Reagan. I'm sorry. I threw you off. <laughs> the first woman. <laughs> Jukes me there. <laughs> first, first woman. <laughs> To serve in two administrations and was only 8 million votes from being first lady. She served two different cabinet positions and two different administrations. Okay, hold on. From being first lady? Yes. Only 8 million votes away. Eight and a half. Can I buzz in if yeah. she doesn't know? Elizabeth Dole? It is Elizabeth oh, Dole. I, I couldn't. Sorry. I I, I, I I figured it couldn't be her because I'm like, it was more than eight million. Like, Clinton yeah, how did he go? Because of um, Perot. Oh, that's right. I miss Ross Perot. First Hispanic woman. It's actually this administration. First Hispanic woman. I had to look this one up. Miguel Cardona is the first Latino man. man. Oh, my gosh. The Secretary of Health. Hilda Solis. Yep. And I know the position. You know the position. Oh, the, the only Asian American woman, also the wife of a uh, of a senator. Mitch. Last Mitch. Oh, Ma- Madeline Chow. Ma- uh, um, uh, Elaine Chow. Elaine Chow. Yep. Uh, can't wait for. She'll also be the first Asian American woman indicted. Hopefully. And the last one, the only woman to be played by uh, Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. Janet Reno. Yes. I like how you said. I, I like how, I like how that, that was the one. I, got. I like how you said quickly, Zach. I know you have questions. Like you just had like ten questions. <laughs> Not, I, sorry, I, to be fair, I had twenty, and I just got. Uh, I just did ten. And, and I have a game. Uh, I have a game for both of you guys and our listeners at home. Uh, this came as a suggestion of our friend Shannon after reading a quote from Marjorie Taylor Greene, where she said, "Jesus, she really is like Ann Coulter." Uh, is we're gonna play a who said it, Ann Coulter or Marjorie Taylor Greene? As one could not exist without the other. Now, of course, we're going to start off with an easy one. The California forest fires were uh, the result of Jewish space lasers. That's, that's uh, Mar- yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene. M- MTG. Yeah. yeah. We're going to start no, with We're not easy. doing that. We're not doing that. It's, that's canceled. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, if we're so cruel to minorities, why do they keep coming here? Why aren't they sneaking across the Mexican border? It's Ann Coulter. That's Coulter. That's Ann Coulter. Yeah. That is that old, sc- old school oh, that's Republican classic. race. That's yeah. unlike Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah, Ann Coulter. I really want to go talk to these ladies and ask them what they are thinking and why they are serving our American government. They should really go back to the Middle East. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think that's Coulter. 
It is Marjorie Taylor Greene Marjorie. speaking about Rashida Tlaib. Of course. Who was not born in the Middle East. No. Idiot. <laughs> 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 and Ilan Omar, who Somalia is not in the Middle East as well. So <laughs> She's a traitor to our country. She's guilty of treason. And it's a crime punishable by death is what treason is. Nancy Pelosi is guilty of treason. I think that's also Marjorie Taylor Greene. I feel like Coulter could have said that like 10 years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago. Coulter? Marjorie Taylor Greene. And finally, liberals are stalwart defenders of civil liberties, provided we're only talking about criminals. That's Ann Coulter because there is no way Marjorie Taylor Greene knows what the word stalwart means. (laughs) (laughs) I can't disagree with that. that. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I literally counted the syllables and I said, oh, if it's only one syllable... That's Marjorie Taylor Greene. If it's multiple <laughs> syllables, because Coulter actually writes books, whereas Marjorie Taylor Greene colors in books, <laughs> outside the lines, yeah. mostly. They, uh, uh, but yeah, that is that is who said it. And uh, sorry for the content of those quotes. We do not endorse <laughs> any of that. Right. Uh, as Ann Coulter, weird hero of the resistance, she she is living her dream of being problematic to everyone. God bless her. So. My rant will be on the coverage of Rick Pitino, who's just become maybe my least favorite American. It's not Marjorie Taylor Greene or Hank Coulter. And uh, then again, we'll be talking about a year together and apart on the Bill Bradley Collective. Perched at the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Andrew, Zach, and Ed. So to kick this week's rants off, uh, I've got a little more personal of a rant. Now, those of you who have ever watched the show The League, which is a show about uh, fantasy sports and a group of friends uh, that, that play fantasy together, uh, one of the characters, Kevin, has a wife, Jenny, and the big joke is that she is always better at him than fantasy, and she basically ran his team, and that he's never actually been good at it, uh, which is very funny if you're on the other side of that. Now, what happens to you, it's significantly less funny and increasingly frustrating. Now, about five, six years ago, I was in a fantasy league, uh, and I won the championship, and it was great, and it was immediately, you know, the Kevin and Jenny joke started happening. Uh, Then Laura was able to join the league, and uh, since she has joined, I have gone last, 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 (laughs) second to last, and then I lost to her in the championship this this season, which is also a storyline in the league when they play each other. Uh, In fantasy basketball, it's very similar. It is incredibly frustrating. And last night, uh, during the tournament, we're going over our brackets, we're looking, and there are two huge upsets. Uh, Ohio, the 13 seed. Uh, beats defending champions Virginia, the four seed. And uh, the 14 seed, Abilene Christian, upset the three seed Texas. Texas and Virginia, very good teams, powerhouses uh, from, you know, the Big 12 and, and ACC. And uh, I'm sitting there, I'm like, Jesus Christ, my bracket's fucked. I, I, don't, know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Laura goes, oh, I, I had Abilene Christian winning. What? <laughs> she goes, I have Ohio in the 16s. What the fuck are you talking? How did you pick that? Oh, and she goes through this net ranking and all this research and looking at the quad one wins. And she's like, how'd you pick it? I'm like, I just picked Texas and Virginia because I assumed they'd win. Like, I did no research on this. I'm not putting my money on Abilene Christian. And I have realized 
that now, uh, for the rest of my life, I imagine we'll continue playing fantasy sports as long as there are sports together. But I've realized I've probably peaked in one <laughs> six years ago when I'd never faced her. And I got to say, it, it is significantly less funny. I mean, you guys play fantasy with her. It's in, it's insane. She yeah. has draft boards. <laughs> to watch the watch her go through the process is is fascinating. And as, as Eric has said, our friend Eric, she never steals your pick because she's on another algorithm entirely <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're doing. And it's just way better. And it's... Um, in the in the weekly college basketball league we're in, she's just rampaging. It's it's insane, and that league's almost impossible because you set your lineup on a Sunday for until the next week, and like suddenly everybody's got COVID. And she, <laughs> no, no, I was looking, and you know, he I had saw, she his, saw on Twitter he was yeah, at the bar. Right. <laughs> he had gotten his hair cut the week before, so he he had cleared protocols because that's where everybody in the NBA gets uh, gets at the, at the barber shop. That's what they go. So. Yeah, it is it is a remarkable thing to watch and it just makes me um feel stupid, which isn't an accomplishment, but it's, it's she does it every time. She, she does more research than Mike McCagnan ever did. <laughs> That's a name I never wanted to hear again. Thank you for that. Um yeah, I've admitted on these airwaves to being like the world's foremost mediocre fantasy sports player, owner, whatever, and I think the only thing that can make that worse would be if like my spouse or significant other was like demonstrably better. <laughs> these upsets too uh, Ohio is like one thing where like Virginia had a lot of COVID problems they got to Indianapolis like the day before whatever oh you know but Abilene Christian I I vetted all of these I and I like to think I know a little thing about a thing or two about college basketball and like I vet all of these like these long odds and Abilene Christian was not anywhere near my radar I need to kind of pick Laura's brain to see what you know I I I I I, I want to tap that gold mine yeah, next of, uh, next sports prognostication. Next bet I play, she's gonna be like the oracle. You know, <laughs> she's, gonna, she's, she's the go-to. She's gotta be. Uh, so while we're on the topic of the NCAA tournament, um, this is now, I believe, the tenth installment of the tournament as a co-production, a co-presentation of both CBS and Turner Sports. Um, in 2011, they came to a they came to a deal where every game, all uh, 63 proper NCAA tournament games would be nationally televised. Before that, um, CBS carried the entirety of the tournament. So where, unless you had like direct TV, then you could, you, you were stuck with like one game in like a 12 o'clock window, a 2.30 window, a 7 o'clock window, a 9.30 window. Um, Turner gets involved. Now there's four networks covering, so you can watch, you know, all those 12 o'clock games. One's on CBS, one's on TNT, one's on TBS, one's on True, True TV, which it's like the two days of year that you actually turn on True TV. I don't know what else is on True TV. It used Any to be, idea? It used to be court, court. It used yeah. to be Court TV, and then they went to True TV, and it was all true crime. And then they got out of that, and now you, I don't think it exists. I they, think it only. I think <laughs> like that in USA just show up for sports, and then they show Cagney and Lacey reruns. Other than that, wouldn't it have made more sense for like Court TV to cover the tournament when it was Court TV? <laughs> when, when I think about that. <laughs> um. At least the Iona games. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going. We're going there. We're going there in a bit. Um, if, so unless you had direct TV, like getting all of, being able to watch any of these games live, like on your TV, like that was a great, that was the perk. That was the, um, the, the good end of this deal. The bad end was that um, 
Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley, who have long anchored TNT's NBA uh, halftime and postgame shows in- inside the NBA, um, now are a part of the NCAA tournament coverage. They're in the studio and they're very visible um, throughout the entire of these three weeks, and they have been since 2011. Um, they should have pulled the plug on that after the first year when they made it abundantly clear that they don't watch any college basketball and they don't care uh, really to watch college basketball as it's happening. I'm, I assume when they're in the studio during these games, they're, they're not even watching the games. If you look at what they talk about at halftime and after the shows and before the shows, um, there was a time where like inside the NBA was, was kind of a treasure when it first started. Like there was a time where Kenny Smith, I thought was very insightful and thoughtful um, and as the game, as MB, as the NBA has gotten like more analytical, um, he's, he's kind of, and he, and as he's gotten older and richer and collected some sports Emmys, he's gotten a little lazier in his, uh, analysis. Charles Barkley is there because he's Charles Barkley outspoken as a player, outspoken as an analyst. Um, the thing is they're covering this NCAA tournament, not watching the games. And now here we are in 2021 and I don't, th- I, I'm not even sure Charles Barkley's watching NBA games. And he's still on inside the NBA. Um, I think it's an, kind of an insult where, obviously, they're they're big names, they're household names, Barkley and Kenny Smith. But like, we can't get we can't get Jay Billis up there. Uh, we can't get these guys. Don't they don't they don't take the time to study their day job? Their nine to five is inside the NBA. They don't watch the NBA, and now they're doing the NCAA tournament, the the peak of it's it's the biggest event in college basketball. And they're not doing that. Like, what? Why are they here? Why are we still doing this? It's not their nine to five job. It's their five to nine job, two days a week. They work eight hour weeks. Um, but they're bre- they're bread and butter. You, but, know, you know. But I mean, Barclays, who was great when he started. I mean, he was incredible. But this act has gotten old. Like it, it he's like a comedian. It, it's like watching Robin Williams right at the end of his stand up life. It's like, no, we've seen all this stuff. We we don't want to see it anymore. Barkley needs to just go away. And you're right, he, he watches no college basketball. I mean, Mark Titus and Tate Frazier, give them, put them on. They're 23 years old, 24 years old. They have a lot to say. They're funny. They're bright. Put them on and do something different. Like, who's who's watching this because these guys are on it? Nobody. I mean, they're, they're so far removed from caring about this sport that they've just come across as old guys who are cranky that it's, the game's changed since it was, you know, and Shaq just makes it worse. Mm. You know, you got to get them, you got to get them more post touches. Yeah, that worked for you, Shaq, because you were so much bigger and better than everyone else. It doesn't work for anybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's one, it's also one of those things where it's kind of like, especially during the tournament, no one's, when there's halftime on, there's another game you flip to. At, between games, you just flip to other games. You can put anybody up there. They don't even have to be people. It's just... If you're gonna put someone there, at least make sure they're like enjoying the product. Like after you texted me about it, I watched it. I'm like, oh, they're not watching any of this. They're just saying the same generic thing basically every game. They're and, and the whole why I decided to talk about this today was like uh, the first four games Thursday night, um, Wichita State, Wichita State. Greg Marshall, their coach who got fired uh, rightfully so before the season started because of a long history of just being verbally abusive to to his players. They got rid of him. In the halftime of, of Wichita State's, uh, Wichita State played Drake, right? The halftime of that game, it was and it was a pretty fun first half. And like all Barkley wanted to talk about was how Greg Marshall like didn't get a fair shake, and you could see Andy Katz, who's like actually covers the sport and follows it. 
you could just see him like just wincing on the side of the panel like what how is this what we're talking about now this is old news you guys are way out of touch and yeah just go away so last week we talked about how sports journalism in the 80s has not aged well when it comes to race Sports journalism is not going to age well when it comes to college coaches uh, in this generation. And I want to talk about Rick Pitino again um, because he has received just the most glowing reviews for getting Iona into the tournament, even though they've been to the tournament five of the last six years. They always make the tournament. This is not tricky. You, you can do it without cheating. Not that Patina will do that. He'll just cheat. Because, you know, in 2017, the FBI linked Louisville, a, a basketball program, to Adidas payments to Brian Bowen. 2017, they also, this is also the time when you realize that uh, they were hiring hookers to bring college uh, players around. Um, not, you know, not cheerleaders on campus, literal hookers from Louisville that they could bring in. And, you know, he, Petito always claims he doesn't know about this because, you know, why would he know what was going on in his own program? Um, but now here's the press that we, well, first of all, the Iona president <laughs> said Rich's values aligned with the goals and values for the college. Well, that's frightening. You you have a college built on cheating, but then you go to the press. The ESPN article on Rick Pitino making the tournament, and again, Iona always makes the tournament. They didn't fire the last coach. He got sick. So they would have made the tournament no matter who was there. Um, They spent, in the ESPN article, they spent a, like five paragraphs complaining that they went by total wins and not winning percentage in the seeding of the MAC tournament because they only had nine, they only played nine games in tournament and other people played more, so they only won six, and they didn't go by their six sixty seven winning percentage. They went by the total wins, which is not crazy. It makes some level of sense, um, and they won the because it's the MAC. They still won. They beat Fairfield, noted basketball power Fairfield. And so they made the tournament and then immediately lost in the first round. They don't mention the fact that there are still possible charges pending against Rick Pitino to the 12th paragraph. But USA Today was not going to be undone by this. Their headline is, Rick Pitino proves he is worthy of the controversy, deserves another shot to coach a major program. And this guy went on and on about he, how he should be coaching UCLA. UCLA, I think did they they won, correct? Did, uh, did they beat BYU last night? I don't know. I was just I was asleep by then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Regardless, they didn't do worse than Iona no. uh, in the tournament. No. And Petito does not deserve another chance. Every single program he's ever had has been just raked with controversy. He's won one title. Yes, he on the court won two, but they stripped them of one. <laughs> So he's won one title since the 70s. So, like, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, he's a good coach, but sweet Jesus, he's not worth the controversy. And at some level, old white guys have to stop stealing, and you can allow that to happen by just not hiring them. But instead, the press is just banging the drum 
poor Rick Pitino hasn't gotten a chance to ruin another major college program. Yeah, it, it was one of the things during the game, they're talking so, like, during the Iona game, they were just effusive. Oh, my God, Pitino, his his great skills, they're going to pull an upset on Alabama, they're going to pull an upset. It's like, yeah, Alabama played bad. Like, that was why they, that game was, was and like, they still got yeah, pulled up by like until the last 13. five minutes. I think it was like, like 67 52. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it did that article, you know, he goes, Oh, I, I'm in heaven at Iona. You know, I don't, I, I don't have to worry anymore. I'm, I'm done with the big time. It's like, no, the big time's done with you. <laughs> like, like Kentucky's not calling because, you know, aside from the, the, the train wreck of Calipari they'll have to deal with, you know, a team like Florida, they're not calling you because they, they don't want to deal with a year of sanctions. Like, you know Iona's going to get sanctioned after he leaves. Every team he's played on gets sanctioned after he leaves. He'd already, he'd already left Kentucky for uh, the Boston Celtics, which he, uh, yeah, that was, talk about train wrecks, how he left yeah. the Celtics. Um, it's the, the the deification of the asshole as a veteran college coach. It's, it's the, and they do it with Patino. They do it with, they do it with Beheim. They do it with Krzyzewski. They do it with, but they did, they've done it with Bob Knight. Um, yeah. It's like, you it, it, you win, and well, you, I mean, you're a story. The, these it, guys, it, these guys have they have two moves. These reporters. One is they should stay in college because it builds character, and the other is these guys that destroy their character are gods, and we should they we, they stride the earth like colossus. You know, Patino talked about why Iona was perfect because he lived in four separate neighborhoods when he worked with the Knicks. Which meant the neighbors kept trying to kill him. Who wants to move four <laughs> times in three years? In New York. <laughs> in New I'm, York. I'm watching the game yesterday, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why isn't, like, Tim, like, you mentioned Iona had been to the tournament, like, the five previous years. Like, why isn't Tim Kloos still the coach? Did he get another job? You said he got sick? He got sick. Tim Kloos? Oh, shit. Yep. He got yeah. sick. It was for health reasons. Okay. But because he represented Iona's values, God almighty. <laughs> Top of the list. <laughs> we will be back after this break to talk about the year in review. We've been waiting, waiting for COVID-19 vaccines to be developed. Now, waiting for them to get to us. But you can do more than wait. You have powerful ways to help slow the spread right now and protect your family and loved ones too. Here's how. Watch your distance. Stay at least six feet away from folks you don't live with. It's risky to be indoors with them too. And of course, avoid crowds. Also, wear a mask. CDC reports masks protect the people who wear them and folks around them. And wash your hands using soap and water for 20 seconds and do it frequently. Vaccines won't make COVID go away overnight, but they give us a real chance to finally overcome it. As long as we keep watching our distance, wearing our masks and washing our hands. Learn more about vaccines at cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So welcome back. So we are marking a year in the life of both COVID, but this podcast. Because a year ago was our first, about a year ago was our first recording. What was it exactly, Brandon? I believe it was like March 16th. I don't have it on the top of my head, but it's right right around there. Yeah, right around then. And we thought it would be a great idea to start a sports and politics podcast when sports were going to be canceled for several months and nobody was going to work so they weren't in their car and not listening to podcasts. And yet, we have survived both as a people and as a podcast. Um, so we're, talk- we're going to talk about what we've learned about sports, 
what we've learned about politics and what we've learned about life itself in the past year of the Bill Bradley Collective. So, uh, Zach, I'll kick it off to you. What is your What have you learned about sports this year? I've learned a couple things. I mean, one, I I realized the importance of sports in my own life uh, and how much of a of a break from the grind uh, it is. Even if I'm like doing work while watching it, um, when it wasn't on for a couple months, I just found myself watching old videos of sports, like just old boxing matches, just anything I could find that could bring entertainment. Um, but also just like fans really. Fans matter in sports, like an empty, like this tournament. Even having, a, a, what, ten percent or fifteen percent, whatever it is, it adds an extra energy to the game. That when it's not there, it doesn't. I think hockey was the only sport where I thought it improved by not having fans because you could focus more on the on the actual product, which is a harder product to focus on because it's a faster game. Um, but also, just there is no risk that they that that these major major leagues uh, and even colleges will take uh, to make a nickel. Like, they, they will just deal with COVID. They will deal with outbreaks. They will deal with all of it as long as they get that ad revenue. The machinations behind um, professional sports and sports at the highest uh, amateur, air quotes, uh, level, um, it's, it, it like epitomizes just capitalism and greed. Um, sports, sports, we learned that sports is just merely big business. Um it is a generator of revenue, and that's why we that's why we had an MLB season. That's why we had an NBA bubble. That's why we had an NFL season. Um, they're money money talks, bullshit walks, and and these these we learned that sports are worth more than virtually anything when you consider the the, the health risks and all the risks that. That came with these leagues going forth when they did. Well, it's it's clear that that cable television mm. really has just become an avenue for it, it's live sports and then stuff that gets you to the live. Sports. It's the power broker, right? Of, and, of sports. Um, I agree, Zach. That the loss of fans has been an issue. And we've seen this in terms of you know, do fans matter? Well, the home road splits are way different than they were. I yep. think the NBA is a sport where you see it the most. Um, that that these huge runs um, that home teams used to go on, but re- visitors rarely did. Now you see them both ways, but it's it's just not the same. Um, I did discover. Um, first of all, I, I think it's clear that the NBA is the best run, the best, the most thoughtful organization. Yeah, Adam Silver's good at his job. Yeah, he's really good at his job. Um. And, you know, I mean, in addition to the to COVID, I mean, one thing that, because we're at the intersection of sports and politics, all of the social aspects that the NBA took over, the, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks choosing not to play, and those issues, which in the NFL, that would have been a disaster. Um, it would have been culture war 101. <laughs> in the NBA, it, it hasn't been. Um, Mike Pence would have showed up to an NBA game just to leave two minutes in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mike Pence is not going. Which, by to the way, it. that that feels like it happened a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. Th- when did that happen? That was last year. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and who is this Mike Pence you talk about? <laughs> um, but um, but I I do think that um, I used to say the role of sports is really you know really was driven home. I mean, I really missed the NBA. 
which I did not think would be would be my experience. I didn't really care about football. NBA, I missed a lot. I missed, and I missed college football. I, I did. I'm not watching college sports this year. I don't know if I if I can go back because, I mean, what college athletes have been put through with no say whatsoever has been horrifying. I still one of our first rants was the Buckeye pledge, and that still is sticking with me. That that is a perfect because uh, I was I wanted to ask this question. You guys when we're on the topic of the year in sports, which by the way the Buckeye pledge we can all take comfort in televangelist evangelical college Oral Roberts defeated Ohio State the other day, one of the great upsets, and then prayed in the middle of the court, which booze ran down, just rained down. God God, God did not take kindly to the Buckeye pledge. <laughs> no, no, yeah. God, <laughs> if yes. they had beat anybody but Ohio State, like, I would have been a lot, like, more mad. Yeah, they just, it was Ohio State. So they beat Ohio State. Ohio State. <laughs> exactly. That was where I followed. I'm like, good, good, fuck them. Now I get to root for Florida, I guess, today. Uh, but one thing in the last year I wanted to uh, toss to you guys is maybe it's because it was already at a tipping point. Maybe this is what tipped it over. But there has been, it's felt like at least, a greater emphasis in the last year on college athletics not being considered student-athletes, that these are actual labor. That that seems like it has become a bigger issue in the last year. Do you think, do you think that that is, I mean, if, if there is any silver lining to this? I hate to belabor this point, but like like I had just said, like I've said virtually week in, week out, like look at the fucking money that these networks pump into these conferences. Um and and the players see none of it. Um They see illness and disease. That's what they get to see. But what was that? And injuries. And injuries. What was, and the, injuries. what was the quote I sent you the other day of I signed my life to a they, rich white man? Yes. Was was how a player right. described it. And that's there's thousands upon thousands of, of, of cases of that very nature. Um, do I think a greater awareness has been made of it? Yes, I do. Perhaps that's a silver lining. But <laughs> until I see change, I'm not going to expect... Until I actually see it. They're still having this tournament. They just decided we're going to do it in, a, in, a, in the greater Indianapolis metropolitan area. They did it in a bubble, whatever. As these people, as though the players haven't suffered enough... Three weeks, four three weeks, weeks in, in Indianapolis. Jesus, right? Uh, and, and Indiana's famous welcoming to black people. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my, uh, my my vacations are usually built around work trips, and uh, I think Laura was very thrilled at our vacation this year uh, because I, my work trip would have been to Indianapolis. Is that she didn't have to go to Indianapolis? <laughs> <laughs> I um no, I, I do think I think, and and this kind of leads us in back into the politics, I think that both the the recognition that Northwestern asking to unionize is probably a decade too early, but it was that that groundwork is there. You're having major major uh, politicians like Chris Murphy from Connecticut saying you have to pay these people. Like this is just stolen labor. And also the disparity between the women's treatment and the men's treatment Ugh. Uh, which has been the weight, the weight room picture. I can't believe yeah. none of us ranted about that. I thought, I, that was, I thought about it. It was, it was too fucking sad. You look, <laughs> it was, it was, it was yeah. horrifying, and 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 I think this leads us right into the politics. As one party has been holding up women's sports because it's a way to hurt transgender people, 
and seem like you're you're being sensitive to women, but you're signing off on this shit like it's well, well of course you know I mean nobody pays to see women's basketball. Of course, in Connecticut we do. Uh, women's sports aren't turning a profit. Let's give everything to the you know to the football teams. Um, my take on 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 sport on politics has been a. I think we have seen. I would hope we have seen that effective that government can be efficient and effective when it's well run. That the stimulus checks are reaching people now. That the vaccinations were vac- You know, he promised Biden promised a hundred million vaccinations in a hundred days, and he got there in fifty-eight percent of that time. That when government attempts in and. I mean, there have been things that Biden's done I, I don't like. But overall, to see government run efficiently takes away the argument that govern you know, the Reagan claim the worst the worst sentence in the world is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. No, the worst sentence in the world is I'm from the government and we're not going to try to help. Oh. And but we but then we also see that we have an entire party, a third of our country built into grievances, white grievances, so that wearing a goddamn mask becomes an act of liberation But when you refuse to do it. You you said something there that kind of immediately sparked something, the, how, how our government can be efficient and effective, which is 100% true, it, except we have also seen when our government is not efficient and not effective. You know, all the accomplishments you said that Biden did, the, the all the vaccines getting out, the stimulus check, the the lives being improved in the in the first 2 3 months of his of his of his uh tenure was not you know a running back gets it down to the 2 and Jonathan Taylor busted in for a 2 yard touchdown like no we we've seen the opposite when how inefficient and ineffective government can be they they got sacked to their own 2 yeah, and, and then and, he, and then he did a 98 yard run <laughs> you know it, it the the year I have, you know, I work in politics, and it's been a somewhat challenging year to keep the faith of, Jesus, I work in politics, I work in government, like I work in this, because it's hard to keep going when you work in politics and to keep engaging in politics when politics seems so ineffective in a way that, like, this is a disease that killed 500,000 people, and somehow it was a political issue. So, somehow, if you were a Republican, you felt one way, and if you were a Democrat, you felt the other. That's not sustainable as a country. Like, that's not good. That's not sustainable as a country. Like, this year in politics, like, I already knew we were polars. Polarization has been increasing uh, for decades. I mean, especially since Bush. What, basically, it started getting really bad with Bush, and then it's gotten worse. When Gingrich. I, Gingrich. Ging, yeah, Gingrich, Gingrich. Gingrich's contract for America was... G- Gingrich is the single most influential politician in my lifetime, and it's the, the influence is horrifying. Our politics, our government, our legislative houses, it's, it's only be, by the year. It just becomes more partisan and divisive and antagonistic. And New Gingrich in the Republican Revolution, two terms of a black president, four years of Trump. And like the reasons for that are like sort of inverse, but it's only become, it just becomes more antagonistic by the year. And, it, and I think that you would, you would, you would hope, and maybe this sort of idealistic Aaron Sorkin type world, that a pandemic that has now killed a half a million people, that 
doesn't discriminate, but kind of discriminates when you think of of that it's discriminated in more densely populated, lower income uh, environments where there's more minorities. Um, but that but that a pandemic that has touched people on both sides um, of the aisle, it's done nothing but make it more antagonistic and more divisive and more unproductive in a sense. I mean, thank God we didn't get a second term of, of Trump. But yeah, What this pandemic needs now more than anything is Aaron Sorkin doing coke again because his last products since he's gotten <laughs> clean have been terrible. Trial of 7 is terrible. When he was coked up, West Wing was awesome. <laughs> like, and then he got sober and the show sucked. Like, we, we need somebody to just do coke and write a great show again. But, but I think it's also shown the importance of state government, not necessarily in the Republicans of like state rights, but we, in the absence of federal government, states step in and we have seen very bad Democratic governors and we have seen very bad Republican governors and we have seen how those policies have translated in to make this worse. And we've also seen very good Democratic governors. And I'm Larry Hogan did a good job. DeWine, DeWine in Ohio. DeWine, mm-hmm. Deval Patrick did a good job in Matt, like... We've seen well, good. Pat, the Patrick has been in the governor of Ohio for of Massachusetts for a while. Oh yeah, he ran for president. Buckner is it broke? It's it's ah, whoever the governor of Massachusetts yeah. did a good it, job. It's too far away for us to pay <laughs> yeah, attention yeah. to. But, but I, I think we've seen that of like the importance of state government and state legislatures. Like in Connecticut, you know, we've gotten very fortunate. Our governor up until recently has done a tremendous job. And, and even even now, we're I mean, the vaccine we're, we're ahead the, of pace on the vaccinations. You're going to get, I mean, you guys are all young. You'll still get your vaccinations before May 1st. Uh, yeah, I mean, Brandon's Brand fully vaccinated. Zach and I are yeah. eligible April 5th to, to right. get an appointment. I, uh, I've got, yeah. you know, I mean, I've got I've got my first Friday, and, and, and now I'm, you know, I'll be back on the 9th. Um, no, I, what has been disheartening is that tribalism, which, I mean, sports is, is basically tribal. You know, you just... Uh, you hate the Red Sox or you hate the Yankees. It's one or the other. Yes. But now it's become so basic to who we are as a country that people are willing to die by refusing clear facts. I mean, Dr. Fauci, I mean, we had a, a Republicans believe Trump over Dr. Fauci on the virus. I mean, by an overwhelming market a margin, it's, Dr. Fauci, like he, he's an epidemiologist. He's not, well, remember they, you know, he's they, not a real estate developer from Staten Island. Remember they love Dr. Burks because she disagreed with him once. And then she was like, no, yeah, you got to wear a mask. They're like, oh, boo, <laughs> yeah. boo. I mean, it, it has been, um, I mean, the problem is, I, I, I mean, I try to be, I don't try to be optimistic. But at one level, <laughs> the, the idea the, that. This whole podcast is the opposite of that. The, the idea that like. It has been made crystal clear that government can effectively do things that corporate America can't do, that that even just no matter how badly you run the car into the ditch, there's a government agency that gets cars out of ditches. And Biden, through sheer competence, has been, and, and, and filling positions that have been unfilled forever, has been able to, to turn this up. And so now we're providing vaccines for Canada and Mexico and doing things that were unimaginable four months ago. And we've also seen, you know, uh, this isn't political, but Jesus, these days they are, is we've seen the importance of unions more than anything mm-hmm. in, in this. Like, 
over the pandemic, a very, very small percentage of unionized employees were actually laid off. Um, I know many of the employees that I represent, we were able to negotiate, get them back in, be, be able to make them have safe working conditions. Then you look at something like Amazon, where they've just been working nonstop in a factory. And that's why, you know, in Bessemer, there's a huge organizing drive, is that you realize the non-unionized workers, that man- business will just send you to work. Like, especially big corporations. Like, I'm not blaming small businesses that are just trying to survive and they probably can't handle a unionized workforce because there's like nine employees, you know, mom, mom's organized with the mom and pop store. You, you, know, you, it, don't, you don't need to organize. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you, you know, it, we're it, talking about like Amazon, Walmart, these companies that like made their Purdue uh, chicken, yep. made their workers come in. They, they had a like 80% COVID positive rate. Yeah. The meatpacking. And, meat and it affected all like Latino and black workers. And then, not largely not unionized. One of the proudest things in, in, in both your union, ask me in my union, AFT, Connecticut, we're involved in this, is getting paras paid uh, during during uh, last March through through June. Get, getting paras to be viewed as educators. D- getting them to be viewed as educators has changed, I think, the nature of that conversation. Um, that didn't happen when places without unionized workforces, and it's been a great thing. Any takes on the politics of it all? It's a disgrace to see anything he says publicly is a disgrace, but Trump trying to, we talk about this vaccine rollout, how it's been much improved. It's much improved by the week and Trump still wants, he wants credit for like the infrastructure responsible for it. And it's like, you had no fucking plan. You had nothing, you had no plan at all. His his statement, you know, you, uh, they, the beautiful vaccine. You wouldn't have gotten it if not. It, it made me just miss him. I have not missed him one second. And I hate to, I don't, I, I don't I want to get off him in a minute, but he, he came out and said like he would recommend getting the, the vaccine. By the way, that was, he, Melania, that was in Melania's wedding vows. What's that? I'm going to get off him in a second. <laughs> <laughs> She's still there. She hasn't filed filed yet. Um, that he endorses, and this is just the, the the polarization of everything. Of like he endorsed, he he got the vaccine number one, and he said, "Get it." And how people that are not going to get the vaccine, which I imagine there's going to be tens of millions in this country, like I'm sure most of them are Trump loyalists, and even even Trump saying to get it. It's like not enough. Like it's so, well, it's so far gone. It's so far. Right. It was also it, a pretty tepid statement. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah it yeah. wasn't like a hearty endorsement. It was kind of like a. Yeah, I got it, and uh, yeah, it's fine. So this is we've talked really about COVID, but this has been the year of the podcast too, and so, and it's you know it's very hard to differentiate the two, um, kind of in our minds because we've just done the podcast amid yeah. COVID. Um, how have these things changed? changed you well look and i i don't want to be overly like sentimental but i you know no bullshit if if we weren't if we haven't if we hadn't been doing this for the last year i um i i I worry about myself i'm thinking about me march 2020 me march 2021 without this podcast um I'd be I'd be down bad, as like the kids say. I'd be I'd be in I'd be. This podcast has really uh, made all the difference in my life, in my in my mental health, oh. and um, it's just been really like an honor it, to to do this with you guys. It's honestly, the, it's the week of St. Patrick's Day. We're all about Irish sentiment here. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm, I'm only fractionally Irish, but yeah. yeah. Um, mean, yeah. um. Yeah. No. I mean, it's you know I, I have I have not been in the last year a person that has gone out. You know, I have. 
I become really good friends with Lester from the package store, the woman who sells me <laughs> cigarettes, because they're the they're they're the main people I see. Um, you know, I mean, a, a lot of this, uh, the year in lockdown, what I what I've learned about myself is how much I don't really like people, but I like being around people. Is how much I just miss being at a bar and like sitting before like Brandon or Andrew got there, and I'm just watching TV, and there's people around, hey, how you doing? Or a stranger might talk to you. okay doing well you know and he can go back to doing its thing and it's just like i miss those small interactions like i miss not being terrified when somebody's like hey man what's up like jesus no no get away from me (laughs) you know six feet six feet (laughs) put your arm out when you when our fingers touch that's the appropriate distance but don't touch my fingers (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly then i gotta i gotta clean but but i think you know you know to echo andrew's andrew's sentiment is like this has been in many ways, you know, both when we were able to do it outside, but also, you know, the few times we did it remotely, uh, which I think our listeners are happier that it's getting warmer out. We're, we're back in, uh, we're back to being in, in the, uh, the veranda of the Lavia state um, is, is it gave me something to look forward to every week that, that in, in a time, in a time when there was like nothing to do where, where you're just trying to find any sense of normalcy, where you're trying to find anything you know i know uh some of our friends that listen to this have said like i like the podcast because it's like listening and hanging out with you guys and for us like that's what it is and it's it's i felt very fortunate that like we decided to do this and we were able to keep doing this because in a time of uh, of absolute change and and insecurity and uh, a lack of what tomorrow may bring i always knew on a saturday or a sunday this would be here and you know Brandon setting up and, and being able to produce this everything and, and making it work and you taking the drive down, you know, it's it's you know, I, I hope that the people that listen like are able to get a little bit of joy from us of from us being able to be so happy to be around each other and that they do feel like it's it's us hanging out. Don't the lesson I've learned, um, you, you don't take friends and family for granted. Um, there was a time pre COVID where like certain like familial obligations that's like, well, it's a day off from work. Now I got to go spend eight hours on like a holiday with like a bunch of family. And it's like, ugh. and after a year of not doing that, you know, I've had like both of my parents have had like some health issues um, this year, non-COVID related, but like, you know, fairly serious. And like not being able to like go see them like in the hospital, not being able to just go see them in person um, has really, it fucking, it sucks. It sucked. It's been, and it's been draining. And it's, I've just learned to not, just don't take the people close to you that might not be that you that you're not able to see conveniently. Don't take that for granted. When you have a chance to, um, you know, spend time with like family and people you care about, um, take advantage. Do it. And the people you don't care about, take them for granted. Right. Take, them, take them for granted. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that I do for work is I occasionally, uh, AFT Connecticut's president Jet Hockadell is my best friend, and I, I write her speeches with her. Um, and we did a, she received an award and, and she wanted to write, um, no going, you know, we're not going back to normal. And I, um, so I worked on that speech and we talked about it a lot. And I think that that's important both in, in every aspect that we've been talking about in terms of politics, we can't just go back to the way it was. There are no more underlying problems in America. They just lie on the surface. You just see them and we can't kick dirt over them and pretend they don't exist. Um, we see it in sports, you know, and I think you see it in your own life. One of the things that was clear to me is, and of course I'm 25 years older than you guys at least, and 
one of the things that um, was clear to me was I'm, I'm only 23 years older than Brandon. Uh, <laughs> I, was doing, I was doing the math. <laughs> I was doing the math in the corner. Yeah, but it's, you know. It's, it's close enough. Yeah, but they're, they're signaling, trying to do the math in their head. I was like, I knew that. I just didn't. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm basically a quarter century older, and I'm, I'm just at, at that point in my life that I realized that, like, a lot of these things, you know, as you guys were saying, it's important to kind of downscale and focus. Uh, I don't need 75 friends. I need, you know, I need you guys. I need... My friends today, if you know the friends I have, that's what I need. Like I don't need eight thousand people. I don't need to be going to a bar every day to meet a different group. I don't need to be doing, um, you know, I I don't need to work eighty hour weeks. I can just, you know, just kind of take a step back and enjoy the time. I, I think one of the things that COVID showed me is I didn't mind the alone time. I didn't have a lot of it in my life. And to be have some time alone was was great. And I have to really fight to protect that because you, you lose that right away. Um, so I've done that. Brandon, how about you? Oh, I've, this year it's just been, um, I mean, the podcast most importantly, it's just been that constant, you know, come in and, and see you guys and actually have friends that I can see on a weekly basis um, and, and do it right. We all, <laughs> we, we've done it for a year, socially distanced. Um, we've kept everything right and, Outside of that, it's just made it. This year's made me be able to focus on myself and try to manage my time a little better than I probably ever would have. Um, just going to school and having to get through that grind in a different way than than it's ever been possible. But and I think it was also important that we started the tradition of having a couple beers while we do this. And now that we record on eleven o'clock on Sunday mornings, we don't feel bad about <laughs> drinking at eleven o'clock on Sunday mornings because there's a rationale for it. Where I suppose if I was just sitting at home and opening a beer at eleven o'clock, I'd say, "Oh God, yeah, I, 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 I got to find out where John Mulaney went and go to a cheaper place." <laughs> yeah, I feel less bad rolling out of bed at ten fifteen, eating eggs, and then cracking a beer. <laughs> no, it's like hey, you know, no, there's a reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's like two places where it's appropriate to crack a beer at eleven a.m. It's the golf course and the the set of the Bill Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> and and we do appreciate everybody who is listening to us. I mean, if we had no listeners, we might still do it, but we'd feel kind of stupid. But we don't have no <laughs> listeners. Our our listenership's growing, and and um and I do think it's because people miss. You know, I've also had people say it's it's like hanging out with you guys at a bar, and um people miss that. And uh, if we filled that void in your life, uh, we're really happy to do it. But we will. We, I can guarantee you, we will be back next week for year two, season three and a half. Is that where we are now? Five? Four. Five? Four. Se- We're season, in four. We're in four. Season four. All the, all the seasons <laughs> run together. Yeah. Season four, year two of the Bill Bradley Collective. Thanks so much for listening. We love doing this. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook at the Bill Bradley Collective. We'll see you again next week.